0: Good evening. Dr. Martin
1: Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee.
0: I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King. Standing in the streets with bowed heads listening to these reports blaring from storefront radios all along 125th Street Many persons in the streets are crying others
1: moving listlessly Tell us what you felt bow. when you heard about the news of Martin Luther King
0: Oh, When I heard about the news of Martin Luther King I felt real sad because he was the um, only man I know colored Negro that really led us into where we at now
1: What's th- What's the feeling among the people that you know and the youngsters that you talk to? What's the feeling in Harlem?
0: Well, it's a feeling of partly sadness and mostly hatred because, um, see, they they didn't really want him to die like he died. They want, you know, they didn't want him to die like he died.
1: You say hatred. What is the hatred aimed at?
0: At mostly the white people. Why? because it was a white man and shot Martin Luther King.
1: The black man is not going to stand for this much longer. They're ready to really, really, what was known down here come out their bag. They've had it. They've been oppressed for 300 years, and it's time for you to get some laws passed around here or just destroy everything that we built up in the 300 years.
0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. That was the way the world learned that Martin Luther King Jr., perhaps the most famous civil rights activist in U.S. history, had been killed on April 4th, 1968. The news that day was greeted with shock and, of course, with horror. And it led to a spate of angry and violent demonstrations in cities where African Americans felt the assassination was an attack not only on their hopes for equality, but on them as Americans and as humans. In the 50 years since King's death, his legacy has grown immensely around the work he did in the late 1950s and early 1960s to literally transform the legal landscape in a way that made discrimination more difficult and imbued the nation's character with at least the glint of the idea that racial equality is an admirable goal. But less has been made, far less in fact, of the work that King was doing when he was killed. He was in Memphis that week in 1968 to lock arms with sanitation workers who were protesting low wages and awful, dangerous working conditions. And he had begun his Poor People's Campaign, which had expanded his work to a multiracial, economically-based movement that was just gaining steam. The controversy around King by 1968 was really about how far he might push the notion of equality, and also whether the white moderates who had cheered the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act would join the strong pushback against King's new demands for economic justice. A little later in the show, we're going to hear the final speech that King gave in Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, a speech that really eerily predicted the violent end of his life. But we want to start the show today with an examination of the work King had turned to in his final years and what might have come of that work had he lived. Van Newkirk II is a staff writer with The Atlantic. He recently wrote an article titled... The Whitewashing of King's Assassination. It's also posted online under the title, How to Kill a Revolution. Van, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So let's start with that title, that online title of your article, How to Kill a Revolution. You, you talk in this article about how uh, the things that King was doing, the things that King was talking about in 1968— were very different from some of the things that he had been saying earlier in his career, and that the pushback against that had been had become much more virulent, it had become uh, much more violent, and that it was directed at this revolution, a very different kind of revolution from just civil rights. It was directed at the idea of overturning the economic inequality that frames so much. Of the United States, uh, talk about killing a revolution.
1: Yeah, I want to say first of all, the the audio package we started this with was amazing. I think it gave us a good sense of exactly the nation's mood uh, mm-hmm. in the the hours immediately following King's assassination, mm-hmm. and it actually is a good uh, starting point for for. Looking at um, how black people, how white America, how they were reacting, um, how they were feeling, uh, what the dynamic was between them after that that assassination. The little boy in Harlem's talking about how there's hatred. He places it only at you know because the assassin was was white, but there was a, a, a sense in black America that if the trigger man was a white man, you know he was pulling the gun on behalf of a white populace that had turned against King uh, sharply. Uh, you, you saw people in the nation's ghettos realized, okay, now voting rights for all black people are secured. Um, you, people don't get lynched for voting any, anymore. Uh, some of the social laws are, are, are coming undone. Uh, you, you've got now legalized interracial marriage in most places. But still, poverty uh, and Concentrated poverty in the slums, in black ghettos, is still uh, increasing. Uh, you still have uh, places like the Bronx are starting to burn. Um, mm-hmm. You have riots every summer. And you see uh, th- this dynamic where black America is still seeing these dramatic effects of segregation, of the of, uh, Institutionalized and institutionalizing uh, racism um, that is advancing a pace, even as King is still working. And then you see white America basically departing uh, the movement. They they, uh, turn against it. You can see Gallup polls saying every year uh, until about 1964, when they support the civil rights movement, they start the majority of white Americans is saying the civil rights movement is moving too fast, is doing too much, Uh, they're hurting their cause. And you see that coupled with more and more civil rights leaders like King looking towards economics, looking Mm -hmm. towards how to build actually racially just policy. Uh, They viewed voting rights as only the very first step of many.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about where King was in his work by 1968, this idea of the Poor People's Campaign. And and let's also talk about how revolutionary this was for him, right? Uh, this is somebody who I think too often in, in sort of the lens of history and, and remembrance uh, gets boiled down to very, very simple memes and, and kinds of, uh, characterizations. This is a very complicated person, uh, who, who changed and learned a lot over the course of, of his work, uh, as an activist. Talk about what he was doing by 1968 and, and how he had come to believe that that was the work that would ultimately, uh, achieve the goals that, that, that he had started out to, to achieve.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about uh, King's personal journey, which I think we haven't quite reckoned with. You have a man who in his 20s, a very young man, is called to lead what is known uh, then to be probably the most significant civil rights action in American history, the Montgomery bus boycotts. He becomes a national icon, Um He chooses, as James Baldwin says, to take the entire fabric of the movement into his own person, to become the avatar of a movement uh, with all the the benefits of that and with all the pitfalls of Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. He goes through a period where he's lauded universally, uh, where he gets a Nobel Prize, where uh, he becomes the American statesman. Um, That culminates in Selma, in uh, standing on that bridge and walking across that bridge, uh in in getting the federal government he has Lyndon B Johnson on speed dial at mm-hmm. some point uh and that's the story we we, we tell ourselves so we tell ourselves that's king right but after that you see king really take stock of where he and black america are uh of of how much that celebrity has helped uh the cause and how much hasn't actually changed you see him become a deeply conflicted man uh, you see his mental health suffer. You see people around him, uh, his, his closest advisors and friends, worry about him uh, and, and where he's uh, headed. You see him actually become unpopular among Black Americans in some cases because he he realizes he starts thinking about how does what's the logical endpoint of nonviolence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he he comes to the standpoint that the logical endpoint is opposing the Vietnam War, which lots of Black activists thought would derail the movement. He starts thinking about. What's actually driving uh, segregation? What's actually driving the racial uh, disparities in America? And he comes toward to the to the point that it's not just uh, Jim Crow. It's not just the bigots uh, like Bull Connor and George Wallace in this country. It's it's the very economic system of America. He starts cr- criticizing capitalism. Uh, he becomes a much more nuanced uh, economic and so, uh, sociological thinker. And that actually drives lots of people away from him. You know, he's he's a very popular figure when he's fighting uh, these very easily caricatured things uh, like white parents. People in hoods, know. right? Right. People <laughs> in hoods. When when he's facing the Klan, he's not so popular when he's facing white moderates. And and at the end of his life, most of what he's aimed at is, not he's not fighting the Klan or Nazis. He's fighting white suburbanites. He's fighting against uh, people who. One supported him who watched kids get sprayed and uh, bit by dogs on camera and said, we have to do something about that. He's turning towards them and saying, okay, what are you really going to do about it? And people are unsettled. They don't like it. Uh, Lots of people, even after the assassination, are basically saying he had it coming. Uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was governor of California, gave a speech on that day saying that when we choose the laws that we want to break, basically end up deserving that fate of death and he spoke for a number of white americans
0: and so when you think then of that pushback and the act of killing king as you write in your piece it effectively it effectively kills this revolution it, it kills this movement that he has started it kills the evolution uh, that he's undergone to become a different kind of freedom fighter, and we see the country after that not, not see another sort of champion of those things for a really, really long time. I mean, the effectiveness of killing a man to kill a movement probably never comes together quite as perfectly as it does for Martin Luther King.
1: Right. Uh, if we think about the civil rights movement, because uh, there, there are people doing, you know, there are activists, there are there are movements, there are uh, people pushing and successfully might I add, uh, for uh, pro-racial justice policies throughout the 60s, the 70s, the 80s to today. Uh, but if you think about the civil rights movement as an organized black movement that had the nation's ear, mm-hmm. it ends that day on April 4th. Uh, King... Basically, in the choice, like I said, to take the movement up, up, upon himself, he he becomes uniquely vulnerable in that way, because uh, people know if they kill the one man, they basically break the will, of uh, of of white people to listen to black folks and of black folks to to have hope that nonviolent radical uh, movement can actually affect change, and you see that you see uh, with King's assassination. I think we got a quote from Stokely Carmichael in an audio package where he's saying, OK, look, you killed the one thing that's stopping black power and black radicalism from taking over this country. And you see in the, the, the immediate years after that, black power, the Black Panthers, uh, Stokely Carmichael, uh, people of, of, of that ilk, they become the dominant voice for mm-hmm. uh, black civil rights activism. Um, you see then the country reacts more, much more vehemently against them, much more violently against them, Uh, You you have black power leaders who were killed in cold blood by federal agents. Um, You you, you can see uh, basically King had a vision of poor black folks, poor white folks working together uh, in order to overcome a a national economic and racial uh, regime. And those hopes are immediately dashed when he is killed. Yeah. Uh,
0: Van Newkirk, the second staff writer at The Atlantic, uh, author of an article titled The Whitewashing of King's Assassination, posted online under the title How to Kill a Revolution. Thank you very much for being with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Coming up, the day before Martin Luther King was assassinated, he delivered one of his most notable speeches, I've Been to the Mountaintop in Memphis, Tennessee. He was there to support striking sanitation workers. We are going to listen to King in his own words from two major excerpts of that speech next. And don't forget, if you miss a little bit of Detroit Today, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. You can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We will be right back with more Detroit Today.